Good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. As always, we're thankful for your presence. We especially say that to our visitors. We are very thankful that you have chosen to be here with us this morning. This morning's sermon title is Honoring Jesus. And we invite you, if you have brought your Bible on those very devices you had to silence, maybe there, if you would be turning or thumbing to Colossians chapter 1 is where we will take our sermon from this morning. We began with these words. It's that time of year again. Well, that largely means another year is just about over. It also means it's that time of year when many people began thinking about Jesus. And we're always glad when people do that. We're always thankful and glad when people think about our Lord. It is always a good thing for us to do that. There are a few important things we should note as we think about Jesus. Jesus is worthy of being honored. And so, if this is that time where we honor our Lord and people are thinking about that, well, he's certainly worthy of that. He is the divine Son of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. What must be understood as well, in order to honor the Christ, we must also honor the Father. John 5, 19 to 23, Jesus said as much. They answered Jesus, and he said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but that what he sees the Father doeth. For the things soever he doeth, these also the Son doeth likewise. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which hath sent him. And so when we think about honoring Jesus, we must also think about honoring the Father who sent Jesus. Scripture tells us how to honor our Lord. And so we need to ask ourselves and take inventory, am I honoring Jesus? Honoring Christ is not seasonal. It's not even year-round. It's actually a lifetime of what we do with our lives and dedicating and giving them to him every day of our lives. Am I honoring Jesus? And how can I honor Jesus? The Bible talks about two things. Uh, it talks obviously about a lot more, but it's about obedience and honoring. And when you consider those two thoughts, obedience tends to look one direction and honor looks another direction. Obedience tends to look Forward. It tends to look in terms of the present. If I don't obey, what will happen to me either now or in the future? And so that's the direction of obedience. It's a now and a future kind of look. Honor does not do that. Honor actually looks backward. It takes into account the things that have been done for me. And so when we think about honoring Christ or honoring God, we're really thinking about what God and Christ has done for us. All that is, is because of God. And all that we have, we have because God sent Jesus. All that we will have, we will have because Christ came to earth, died for the sins of the world, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And so when we're talking about honoring Christ— we're really talking about what God and Christ have already done on our behalf, and it's one of the reasons that everything ends up being tied in one way or another to the gospel. It's through the gospel that God has forgiven our past. 
that he has saved us in the present and he has secured our future. And it's in the gospel that Paul ties all of these reasons to honor our Lord. Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, the Apostle Paul will share with us four things we can do to honor Jesus. Those four things we'll find in these first 14 verses of this chapter. The first two are an introduction of the book. Verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, or Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The four things began from here, and the first one is in verses three through five. Paul says in those verses, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of the truth of the gospel. Point number one is this then, how do I honor Christ? How is this related to the gospel? Number one is you live in hope of heaven. What is it that Paul does? He says, first of all, here's what we do. We give thanks to God, verse number three. Paul and Timothy, it's how the book opens. These individuals are referred to as servants of God. They are writing to the brethren. He says, the faithful in Christ. These brethren, Paul says, we give thanks to God for you. Now, that's what we do. When did we do it? He says in verse 4, when we heard of your faith. We heard about your faith in who? In Jesus. We heard about your faith, that active, obedient faith that you have to Jesus. We heard about that. That faith is the one that we have. And so Paul would say that's the same thing we enjoy. And because you're faithful and because we're faithful, listen, we are rejoicing with you in that faith toward God and love for his people can be seen and evidenced. It can be heard of, 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10, Paul will say, you have sounded forth. Paul says, I'm in another place, but I heard. I heard about your faith. I heard about your love. The reason he could hear about it is it was actively doing something. And it could be seen and it could be heard. And Paul says, we thank God for you. Now, he says, why in verse number five? The first part of that verse says, because of the hope of heaven. Why are you doing what you're doing? The same reason we're doing what we're doing. Why are you faithful to Jesus? The same reason Paul and Timothy were faithful to Jesus, because of the hope of heaven. It's one of the things that marks, identifies, distinguishes the life of a Christian from those who are not Christians. If there were only one thing we could point to, why do you live the life that you live? If you're a Christian, why do you do what you do? If you're a Christian, the answer inevitably would come back to because of the hope of heaven. I might ask you this morning, how are you living your life? What are your plans after you die? If you're a Christian, I already know the answer to that. It's the hope of heaven. But what if you're not a Christian? 
Hebrews 9, 27, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. So the Bible says there's something after death. You will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone who has ever lived on the earth must give an account. This is not something we've said. This is what God says. You're going to stand before him and give an account for your soul, the things you've done in this body, whether they be good or bad. And so we would ask, why are you living your life? And what is your goal after death? Now, some will say, well, I don't believe. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in anything spiritual or eternal at all. I don't believe in it. So when I die, I'll just stop existing. Some people might say that. Another person might say, well, I just think everybody's going to heaven. So it really doesn't matter how you live. Everybody's going to go to heaven. I've thought about it, and I believe everybody's going. person might say that. Still others might say, well, if I'm being honest, I just hadn't thought about it. I just hadn't given it much thought. I take it day to day. I try to be a good person, and frankly, I haven't given it much thought. If you don't believe or haven't thought about it or you think everybody's going to heaven, we're so glad you're here this morning because we need you to know. It doesn't matter. Here's what we would offer. We'd love to sit with you and talk about it. We'd love to sit down and open up the Scriptures and talk to you about heaven and why we live in hope of it. Paul says he did. The brethren there are. We'd be glad to it. Christians, however, are very clear. Because of Jesus, we live in hope of heaven. Paul connects this thought to the gospel. In fact, everything here is inevitably about the gospel. John would say it's why we live holy lives. Everyone who has this hope purges himself from these things or uncleanliness, sinfulness, 1 John 1, 1 to 3. Paul shared in this same hope with the brethren, the hope that's laid up. Peter would say, it's our inheritance. Jesus would say, I'm the door. I am the door. If you enter into me, you can have eternal life. On other occasions, he would say, I'm the way. Everyone that comes must come this way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. He's the way. He's the means of eternal life. And so Paul will say in this very book, Christ is our hope. Point is, we honor Christ. How do we do it? by how we live our lives every day. We live our lives in view of the hope of heaven. Point number two, the second part of verse number five down to verse number eight. There the apostle Paul says, speaking of that hope, he says, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as it has in all the world and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it. He says, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned and it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. Paul ties all of this to the gospel. Point number two, how can I honor Christ? Obey and share the gospel. 
Go back to verse number five, and Paul says, with regards to that hope, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Where did you get your hope? If you were in Colossae, where did you get this hope? You heard the gospel, and you obeyed it. How did Paul get that hope? He heard the gospel, and he obeyed it. Paul says, you heard of the word of the truth of the gospel. And what did it do? He says, it's come to you as in all the world, and it brings forth fruit, as it also does since the day you heard of it. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our world gets so bogged down with bad news. You hear people say on occasion, I don't even watch the news anymore. I don't want to hear any more bad news. I just, where's the good news in the world? There is good news. It's the gospel. It's the very definition of the word. The gospel is good news. Paul says, you heard of it, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the reason that when Jesus was born, the angels, that, that host shouted, peace on earth and goodwill toward man. Why was that announced? Because of the gospel. It's the gospel that brings about peace. How do you take two people, complete strangers, and make them family? The gospel. How do you take people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different educations, different social standards, different rearing? They can be different in a thousand ways. Give them both the gospel and let them obey it, and they become one. Paul would say in Ephesians 2, speaking of Jesus, he is our peace. You want peace on earth and goodwill toward men? You need the gospel. Paul says, you heard it. The gospel is the source of the hope he was just talking about. Point number one, live in hope of heaven. Where would you get that hope? The gospel. Point number two then, you need to hear that and obey it. Notice the words again that he says there in verses 5, 6, and 7. He says among these things, the gospel has to be learned because you heard it in the word of truth, the gospel. In order to learn it, somebody's got to get You got to learn it. You got to hear it. Isn't that how faith comes? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Paul says you did. You have to hear it so you can learn it, so you can obey it. And Paul says you did. He says the gospel came to you just as it has in all the world. When it came to them, what did they do? They obeyed it. How do you know? Go back up to verse number two. Let me ask you, to whom is the letter written? To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. How do you become a saint? How do you become a faithful brother? How do you get into Christ? The gospel. It came to them, and they heard it, and they obeyed it. The seed was planted, it bore forth fruit, and they did exactly what God wanted them to do. Acts 17, 27, that they should seek the Lord and find him. The apostle Paul took the gospel, they heard it, and they obeyed it. Quite frankly, this is one of the reasons I'm glad for the season. Because for some people, this will be the time they start thinking about Jesus. And if that's the case, you know what you need to hear about Jesus. You need to hear the gospel. 
You need to hear that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die for your sins, and Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and because of Jesus, you can be forgiven. There's good news for your life. The gospel has to be heard. The gospel has to be obeyed. The gospel has to be taught. Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus said, go into all the world. There are those of us in this building with some level of obligation to you. If you're visiting with us and you're not a member of the Lord's church, those of us who are, we owe you something. We have a certain debt. We understand it. And it's a labor of love. We need to share with you. If you're willing to hear it, we need to be willing to share it. We need to share with you the gospel. Paul says, that's what's happened here. Go back again. Look closely. Look there in verse number six. Paul says, this gospel came to you as it has in all the world. What are they doing then? They're taking this message to all the world. When it came, what did it do? He says, it constantly is bearing fruit and increasing in you since the day you heard it and understood it. You understood it, you heard it, you obeyed it. But he goes further, verse 7, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. The gospel produces fellowship. One of the sad times about this season is that people often refer to loneliness. And they talk about it in terms of being so sad for so many people. And, and loneliness is one of those things that when you hear it, you almost think, well, that can't really be that big of a problem. Because generally, people start to think about our advances. They think about the technological advancements that we have, the, the education, the medical advances, the social media, the prosperity. You think about our nation and the world, and you don't really think immediately loneliness. You start thinking about all the great things, and yet, with all of those things and more, Loneliness is a very real problem. Do you know God's solution was that Christ would come and die for the sins of the world? And that then the gospel would go into all the world. And what would that gospel do? It would bring people into one body, which is his church, Ephesians 1, 22, 23. But it wouldn't turn it into a social club. It, it wouldn't make it just another organization. It would make that body of people the family of God. You know what you have a solution for if you have family? Loneliness. You know what God has given humanity? A worldwide family. In the church of our Lord, we have families. 
How did we get that? The gospel brings fellowship, communion, and community. Paul says, it came to you. Who brought Epaphras shared it with you. What are they doing? They're sharing it with others. Paul has the same hope these faithful brethren have. Epaphras has the same hope these faithful brethren have. We are all one in Christ and become family. He shared it. You shared it. We share in it. And now all of us, you know what? There's no place for loneliness there. The gospel does that. Paul says, I learned of you from Epaphras, and now he's told us about you, and hearing of your faith makes me want to thank God on your behalf. How do we honor Christ? By obeying the gospel and sharing the gospel with others and loving those who have obeyed the gospel. Point number three, verses 9 to 11. Paul says, for this cause or this reason, we also, since the day we heard, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Point number three, how do I honor Christ? You pray for God's people. Honoring Christ, you pray for God's people. Paul says, for this cause. What cause? Those already enumerated. The hope of heaven. The gospel in which we share. For this cause, we pray for you. You want to honor Christ? Let's pray for one another. What did he pray that you might walk worthy. Pray for the faithful lives of God's children, that you might walk worthy, suitably, worthily, appropriately. Honoring Christ is living a changed life. It's walking in the light, walking worthy of the gospel, walking worthy of the calling, walking and living up to what God has done in Christ for us. Saints are people who have been called out of the world and into the light of God's dear Son. Called from a world of sin and into a world of service and righteousness and holiness. Called from being enemies at God and now being friends and ultimately family of God. A changed life comes as a result of obeying the gospel. The call of Christ is how we change convert. What should we do then to honor that? We should pray for one another. Well, what's the prayer? I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister, to be faithful, to walk worthy of this calling. Let me ask it another way. You know, every time we get to the end of a year or nearing the end of the year, I trust that you do what most people do, and that is you began to think about the previous year. You Maybe you go back over your mind and the events and the occasions and this thing and that thing. Can I ask you to do something different this time? Can I ask you to think about how many brothers and sisters didn't make it? How many brothers and sisters fell by the wayside this year? How many brothers and sisters gave up the fight this year? 
How many can we pray for and help get back? God asked on one occasion, who will go for us? How much more can we pray for one another to remain faithful? As you look forward into 2024, can the brethren be put on your mind and on your heart? I don't mean just the sick ones. By all means, let's pray for the sick. By all means. I, I mean, there are some brothers and sisters for whom we should pray, if not for every. Can we pray that the elders will be faithful one more year? Let me pray that the preachers will only preach the word just one more year. Let's go through 2024 and not lose any more preachers. Let, let's go through 2024 and not lose any more deacons. Let, let's go through 2024 and not lose any more members of the Lord's body to the world. How are we going to do that? Paul says, we're praying for you. Why? Because of the gospel we share in. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to sit and go through another year and say, you remember brother so-and-so? He used to be faithful. What happened to the hope of heaven? What, what happened to the faithful walk? When we heard about your faith, when we heard about it, we didn't stop praying for you. What was the prayer, Paul? That you walk worthy, that you hold on and you keep, you know, let's not lose any more marriages in 2024. Let that be the year where everybody who was married stays married. Let that be the year where we don't use any more young people. You know, it's gotten to the point where people just write it off. <laughs> you know, young people. And maybe we could get together and pray. And maybe they could be part of the prayer. And maybe we could include them and let them know how much we're praying for you to walk worthy. How much more can we encourage one another regularly? Keep walking worthy, brothers. Amen. Keep walking worthy, sister. Keep walking worthy. We honor Christ by praying for Christ's people. Go back. Start again. Now that you have the content in your mind, there's only one more point. We'll get there. But, 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 but go back with me. Go back to the top. Read down quickly. Now, hold everything that we've discussed in your mind and listen to what Paul is saying. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, how did you become that? By the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as it has in all the world and is constantly bearing fruit and increasing as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, patience, joyously. That would bring us to point number four. He's actually said it already once. He repeats it. In fact, he uses prayer earlier in verse number three, and he states it again there in verse number 10 or verse number nine. And now he does the same thing, and that brings us to 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Point number four, if you want to honor Christ, give thanks to God. Giving thanks is no more seasonal than honoring Christ is. Giving thanks is appropriate. Giving thanks blesses the thanksgiver. Because in order to give thanks, that means your heart is free of pride when you give thanks. It means you're humble. Giving thanks means your heart is free from selfishness. You understand service. Giving thanks means your heart is free from carnality. It means you understand spirituality. It blesses the person who gives thanks, but it also blesses the one being thanked. It demonstrates appreciation. It gives with them a certain sense of satisfaction, and it encourages them to continue. And when you give thanks, you're honoring Christ by giving thanks to God. Why are you doing that? Because of what God has already done. So much of people's lives are looking forward and asking God for more and for more. And generally speaking, they're asking God to solve problems he didn't create, but they did. And they're asking God to fix something they created and they messed up, and they want God to make it better. And usually what they're asking God would often involve God doing things that he will not do. He won't override free will. He won't remove consequences. He won't do certain things, but that's what they want. What should be done is giving thanks for, by way of looking back, for what God has already done. And why does the Christian live in hope? Again, note verse number 12, these are things the Father has already done. Paul says, giving thanks to the Father, what has he done? He's qualified us. He's enabled us. He's justified us. How did he do that? By the gospel. How did he qualify us? By the gospel. He made it so we could inherit eternal life by justifying us, declaring us that way. Number two, Paul says, he rescued us. You don't need rescue if you're not in danger, and in sin, you are in danger. You have a problem that you may not know it, and sometimes it's the case that people don't appreciate the peril they're in. But if you're estranged from God, if you're estranged from Jesus, if you are in sin, you need rescue. God did that. These are faithful brethren in Christ. You know what? They've been rescued from sin, sorrow, suffering, ignorance. They've been rescued. 
Thirdly, he says, he, he, he qualified us, verse 12. He rescued us, verse 13. Second part of verse 13 says, he transferred us. He translated us. He took us from one state to another. Through whom did he do that, Jesus? How did he do that? By the gospel, we were slaves, and now we get to be saints. We were lost, we get to be found, we get to be saved. Jesus shed his blood for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, according to the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. It's through him and through the gospel that we get out of darkness and into light. That we stop being lost and we start being saved. That we go from children of the devil to children of God delivered us, qualified us, rescued us, translated us out of darkness into light, out of sin into salvation, out of despair into hope. How do we honor Christ? By walking worthy of this. The last thing he says is in verse number 14. He also redeemed us. In whom we have redemption, he purchased us. Christ bought us with his blood. We sing that sometime in our songs. I hope we appreciate what we're singing. He bought us with his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The church is the purchased possession, Ephesians 1.13. Christ purchased the church with his blood, Acts 20.28. 20, Paul tells us how to honor Christ. It's that time of year again. Well, it usually means a year is just about come and gone and gives us some time of reflection for another year. But more than that, it often is a time when people start to think about Jesus, and that's just fine. Because if you want to honor Christ, we're glad you're thinking about our Lord. Christ is worthy of being honored, and Christ desires to be honored. And when we honor the Christ, we honor the Father who sent the Christ. But how do we do it? We live in hope of eternal life. We live in hope of heaven. As you circle the calendar year and move into 2024, what would be your reason for living the life that you live? I hope it's the hope of heaven. We we share the gospel, we, we share it, we, we, we receive it, we obey it, we learn it, and then we share it with others. Paul says that's what he did, Epaphras did. They were all one in Christ because of the gospel. And then we pray for God's people. I hope that you and I can be on each other's prayer list. And I hope part of that prayer is that you and I will walk worthy, that you and I will continue to be faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to Christ, faithful to righteous living, faithful to holiness, worthy of the calling, faithful in our marriages, faithful in our parenting, faithful one to another to encourage, to the strengthen. I hope that we pray and pray and pray and let us not lose anyone. And if we do, let's prayerfully go try to get them back. We honor the Lord by giving thanks to God. I should ask you this, has God done enough for you, or does he need to do more? Has he given you enough when he qualified you? 
when he rescued you, when he redeemed you. I'm not suggesting you never ask God again for anything, but I am suggesting let's thank him a lot for what he's already done through Jesus. It might be the case this morning that you're not a Christian, and maybe you don't even really appreciate or know the mechanisms of these things, so if you will allow me a few minutes, I'll try to explain quickly. We meet here to worship our Lord, and God is worthy of our honor and praise, and he demands it, and we're more than thrilled to give it. And at the end of each one of our sermons, you will hear what we call an invitation. That invitation is designed to take the gospel that you've heard, hopefully in the sermon preached, and invite you to come and obey the very thing we talked about this morning. Now, while we didn't talk about the mechanisms of how to do that, because as Paul wrote to his audience, they had already done it, and most of us have already done it, and so we understand it. But we do want to take this time to share it with you. This mechanism, this gospel, is to be preached, proclaimed, heralded, shared. And as you hear it, the Bible would then ask you to learn it. Having heard it, the Bible would say, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the heart of it, that Jesus came to this earth, not just anyone, no sir, no ma'am, the Word made flesh, God in a body. See Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, God with us. That's who Jesus is. I ask you to believe that this morning, and the Bible will call upon you, God would, to repent. That word, metanoia, a new mind, it comes as a result of hearing the good news and then believing what you heard. And upon hearing that your sins, my sins, sent Jesus to that cross, and upon believing that Jesus is God's answer for that problem, then I want to change my mind and my heart about him and about the way I'm living my life. I want to repent. And I'm willing to confess the name of Jesus. I confess, I believe in Jesus is the Son of God. And we would ask, Jesus would demand that you confess him so that he can one day confess you before his Father. Paul says we do that with our mouth, and it brings us unto salvation. Well, how do I get into Christ? The Bible is very clear here. Romans 6, 3 through 5, Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. And a host of other passages would say you need to emulate the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and you do that in baptism. After you've heard and learned, and after you've believed, you've repented, you confess, and you now are a candidate to become a child of God. How do you do that? You put the old man to death here, changing your heart and your mind, and then we bury him in water, and you rise and walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 through 5, you are buried with Christ in baptism and you rise and walk in newness of life. That's what Paul did. That's what the brethren in Colossae did. That's the message of the one gospel that is to go into all the world. And friends, that's what we've done. And that's what we would exhort you to do this morning. These chairs here are seated in the front so that you could come and be a part of that if you're willing. But if not, I mean, we'd love to take more time and sit with you afterward, and we'd be thrilled to do that. We're so thankful that you're here. And if you're thinking about Jesus this morning, well, we thank God for that. 
We want to honor him too. And the way to do that is to live our lives in a worthy manner of his death, burial, and resurrection. If you are his child and you are in need of the very prayers that we're talked about, you know sometimes getting to the end of the year, you feel like I just barely made it, and that's fine. Sometimes getting to the building is you cross the threshold and I, I ask someone, how you doing? They said, I'm here. <laughs> Fantastic, because this is just where you need to be. Hey, let's lift up each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's exhort one another to love and to good works. Let's honor Christ by praying for and loving those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can help you in any way this morning or in any other. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.